His name is the most important name in time and eternity. There's none greater, there's none more glorious than his name. The scripture says that God has given to him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, The name Jesus expresses uh, his uh, humiliation, his humanity. Uh, the name Christ or Messiah is speaking about his majesty and his, his excellence of uh, what he will do in his office. And the word Lord refers to his ownership of, of everything. Isaiah prophesied, unto us a child is given, unto us a son is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, I want you to notice that there's no one name, no one title that can sum up the excellencies of Jesus, that we, that we really need them all to be able to uncover and to unravel the, the wonder of Jesus, that he is indeed wonderful. The Heavenly Father said, this is my beloved son, and so the title beloved is one of the names of Jesus. He is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We call him, we call him who have called upon him for salvation. We call him savior. We, we, we call him, we call him redeemer, healer, deliverer, and so much more is he to us. There are thousands of songs that have been sung. Some of the songs that we sang this morning, Jesus, no other name, Jesus. You know, I think of a, a song that we used to sing some, some years ago, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away. But there's something about that name. We sing about his name. We talk about his name. And we ought to also have this as our vision, that we're going to search the scriptures to uncover the mystery of Jesus. Every name is like a, is like a tile of mosaic, that we need all of the tiles together to be able to to catch the breadth and the length and the, and the width and the, and the dimensions of the, this marvelous person that we call the Son of God, the Son of Man. Again, two more titles to the Lord Jesus. There are so many things that, are, that is awesome about the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Demons are expelled in the name of Jesus. People are healed in the name of Jesus. Um, there is... There is authority in the name of Jesus. All authority, he said, in, in heaven and earth has been given unto me the name of Jesus. And he, he transfers that authority to us. And he says, says that in my name you shall cast out devils. And in my name you shall heal the sick. And in my name you shall raise the dead. And so, and so there is power in the wonderful name of Jesus. Several years ago, uh, I uh, started doing a devotional. Uh, and it was on the name of Jesus, in the names and titles of Jesus, and I would send it out email once a week, and, and two years went by, and 104 different messages later on the title and name of Jesus, various revelations from Scripture, and we still have not scratched the surface uh, of the enormous immensity of, of who he is. Listen, uh, it would be easier to probably empty out the ocean with a teacup 
okay, than to exhaust the wonder of his person. Think I'm exaggeration? Exaggerate? Exact? Yeah, exact? Exaggerating. I'm not. I may have a problem with that word, but I'm not. In him are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. To experience Jesus is to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's my honor to preach Christ this morning and in this series. It's an honor for me to to expound upon the person of the Lord Jesus, but it's also our privilege to search the scriptures and to uncover the, the marvel and the mystery of this person that we call Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no understanding of theology. Theology is the study of God, but there is no understanding of the person of God apart from the person of Jesus Christ. He is the unveiling of the Father. If you've seen me, he said, you have seen the Heavenly Father. If you look at your bulletin or if you look at uh, this uh, uh, graphic, I don't know if you can see it very clearly. Some of the, some of the light is washing out the names, but, but th- there's not one name that can describe him. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Deliverer. He's the Shepherd. He's the, he's the Rose of Sharon, the Bright and Morning Star. All of, these, all of these titles are a reflection of some aspect of Jesus that we want to, at least in this series, cover some of the greatness of Jesus. Jesus said himself to his followers, he said, learn of me. Okay? So, so Jesus is saying, you need to discover me. You need to Search for me. Well, when you search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. Learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. And then Peter, Peter's last word to the church. In, in third uh, chapter of Peter, it says, uh, the 18th verse, it says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, I believe with all my heart that the way in which we grow in grace, and how many of you need more grace in your life, that the way in which we grow in grace is to grow in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. The more more we uncover of him, the more we get to know him, the more more he begins to transform our lives. You know, Moses was was transfigured or or transformed uh, physically by beholding the glory of God. It says about Moses compared to the children of Israel, they saw the acts of God, but Moses went on to know the ways of God. And, and, and in that beholding or that glimpse of seeing God, he was, he was changed. He, his face became radiant. When we now have a glimpse of Christ, we are transformed internally. We're, we're changed from one degree of glory to the next. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we behold as in a mirror the image of the Lord are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. So, so it is vitally important that we be students of the word so that we're, we're discovering the treasures that are in Jesus. Let me, let me give you an example of why this is so important. Just, just one example of why this is so important, okay? T- take that name, Beloved, that I mentioned a little while ago. The Father calls... His son, beloved, it's a title that, that is also shared with us as believers. Now, now, the thing that really just fascinates me is that, is that Father chose to break heaven's silence with that word or that title given to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So, 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 so get this. Before Jesus healed one sick person, before Jesus 
preached one sermon before Jesus, expelled one demon, and before Jesus did any of his miracles, Heavenly Father went on record to say, this is my boy, I delight in him. You know what that tells me? That the revelation that God looks at Jesus as the beloved son tells me that God is much more interested in what we are to him, in our relationship to him, than in what we do for him. See, it's about, it's about being in our relationship with our Heavenly Father that, is, that supersedes and is paramount in our relationship. God has called us to this. Listen, it, it is awesome to be called a servant of God, okay? Uh, scripture, scripture talks about the honor that's bestowed upon us as the servants of God, but God's called us to a higher position than merely being his servants. He's called us to be his sons and his daughters, and that is a privilege that carries with it not only, listen, there's responsibility in being a servant of God, but there's joy in being a child. And God's called us to that higher position. Please, please, please listen to me. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that your relationship with God is dependent upon your performance. And so he says that you're my delight. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus did anything in terms of ministry, before his public ministry began. And so he says the same thing to us as his beloved. Don't let your identity, don't let your relationship with God be, be clouded by an idea that I have to perform in a certain way in order for God to love me. Listen, if I preach a great message, God doesn't love me more than he did before. If I don't preach a great message, he doesn't love me any less. In fact, I rest in what Jesus said, learn of me for I am meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. We find rest for our souls in our relationship with God when we rest in the achievements of Christ. When, when we are relaxed in the accomplishments of what Jesus has done for us in his perfection. Now, that, that, that's just one example of what happens when we have the lights turned on to the, the name or the names and titles that Jesus gives to us. Let me tell you what's at stake. Our peace and our joy and even our victory in life is at stake because the Bible says that people perish for lack of knowledge. But the converse is also true, that there is a grace that comes to us and a strength that comes to us through the knowledge of God. We are strengthened with all might according to his glorious power in our innermost being, when we uncover and the Holy Spirit unravels for us the mysteries of Jesus Christ. And I'm just excited about this series. Jesus promised when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will testify, bear witness to me, said Jesus. He will take the things that are of, of me, and he will reveal them unto you. In other words, all of, all of the, the truths concerning him, all of the types and all of the shadows concerning Jesus, he says, the Holy Spirit will take what belongs to me and reveal them unto you. Now, that means our prayer this morning ought to be to the Holy Spirit. And I want to pray in just a minute, but I, I want to ask you during this series, would you partner with me in prayer that God the Holy Spirit would illuminate, open up the eyes of our understanding so that 
so that we would be delighted to see Jesus as he's revealed in the scriptures. For he said, he said, search the scriptures for in them they testify of me. The scriptures were given to reveal the Son of God. And so let's pray. Father, I ask your blessings now upon the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our understanding, that you would give us deep insights, not only now, but all through this series when we're talking about the name that's above every name, that there is no other name whereby which men must be saved. And so, so we, we want to extol that name and, and make much of that name and, ex, and just lift up the name of Jesus today because there is no other name like Jesus. You know, John, at the end of John's gospel, <clears throat> uh, I, I love what he said. He said, he, he said th- these are just some of the things that Jesus did. The intention, he says, is so that you might believe, and in believing you would have eternal life. But then John said this, I suppose that if all the things were to be written that Jesus did, that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Exaggeration? I don't think so. I mean, we're talking about the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the the beginning and the end of all truth, okay? So we're going to start this morning by looking at one of the titles of Jesus. It's not found on the brochure or the, or the bulletin, or, but, but I, I love this title. It is Paul giving to Jesus the, the title, The Last Adam, The Second Man. And so we're going to break that down and see why Jesus is called in Scripture, The Last Adam and The Second Man. Now, the Apostle Paul is speaking here in 1 Corinthians 15, and what he's writing about, what he's talking about, is the doctrine of the resurrection. How important is the teaching of the resurrection? That Jesus physically, bodily, rose again from the dead, and that believers, he is the first, and that believers will follow in like manner, will be resurrected, have glorified bodies just like Jesus. So, so, so his point is to drive home the understanding of the resurrection and why it's so important for us to believe that, okay? Uh, so let's pick up then in, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the, that word first fruits is a, uh, is a agricultural term. The first fruits was the first taste of the harvest, the first bushel, if you will, of the harvest, which was to guarantee that everything in that same harvest would follow, would be the same as the first. So Jesus Christ is the first of those who have fallen asleep. And what a, what a beautiful allegory to, to those who die in Christ. They fall asleep. We, we, we do not perish. Uh, when, when Stephen was, was being stoned to death, the Bible says that he laid down and fell asleep. What a beautiful uh, idiom that is being used here of believers who die, okay? Uh, verse 21 says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. So the first man, Adam, brought and ushered in sin and death and disease and sorrow and suffering and the curse and all of that. But through a man comes the resurrection. As in Adam all die, 
So in Christ, all will be made alive. So here's the first comparison that Paul makes. He's comparing Adam to Christ. And so we're going to look at that a little bit deeper in just a couple of minutes. But Paul is drawing a contrast. The first Adam fell. He failed miserably. And in his failure, he passed on that failure to his descendants. Because he's sinned, or he sinned, therefore we likewise become sinful and sinners. And because he died, he passed on that as an inheritance to all of his descendants, and that includes us. But Jesus, who was obedient to the point of death, who was victorious over sin and death, passes on his victory to us. Death came through one man, so through the one man, Christ Jesus, comes the resurrection. So verse 45, we're going to jump to verse 45. So it is written, Paul now quotes from Genesis. The first man, Adam, became a living being. God breathed into his lungs the breath of life. He became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Notice the contrast again. The first man was of the earth. He was made out of mud, right? He was, he was made out of the substance of the material, the earth. I mean, th that's what we are physically. We are a composite of the minerals and, and, and of water and of the stuff that you find here in matter on earth. That, that's what we're made of. We're, we're a spirit who dwells in mud, okay? So he says, so as the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. We look like Adam. We act like Adam. We behave like Adam. We think like Adam because that's what we are made of. So also are those who are heavenly, that is, those who are born from above. And as we have borne the image or bear the image or have the image of the man of dust, of mud, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. That is the hope of glory, that we will bear the image of the glorious Son of God and that God is conforming us daily to the image of his Son. The first man, Adam, is the father of the human race and all his descendants after Adam. He's, he's the first. But all that are in Adam die. Even we who are, are believers will experience death unless the Lord comes for us before that. But death has changed. Something has happened. And we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit more closely. Here's the contrast. And Paul's contrast is emphatic. The first man was a living being. He was alive. But the last Adam, the second man, he is, in fact, he is, in fact, a life-giving spirit. So not only is Jesus the first of the resurrection, but he is also the source of this life that he imparts to those who believe in him. That's why Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And I want to make this absolutely clear because I tell you what, you know, all of us, you know, especially preachers, we, we all have something that is like the thing that maybe drives us, you know, ballistic or drives us nuts. The, the thing that drives me nuts is when I hear other, other people or preachers, you know, mix up the terms. And, and it's, I understand it's easy to, to refer to Jesus as the second Adam, you know, because Paul calls him the second man. We must never make that mistake 
Jesus is not the second Adam. The implication would be this, that because the first Adam failed, there was a, a last Adam. There was another man who came from heaven because the first Adam. To, to say that Jesus was the second Adam is to say that there might be a third, there might be a fourth, that it is an implication of his failure. And Jesus did not fail. He is the last. There will never be another Adam. And Adam, as we're speaking of, is the head of the race. Adam being the head of the human race. Jesus Christ being the head of a new race of men and women. A new species. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new species. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. So I want to make that absolutely clear. We should never call Jesus the second Adam. And I'll explain to you a little bit more why we call him the second man, but he's the, he's the last Adam. So, so please don't ever make that uh, mistake. Adam fell by his disobedience. And in, that, and in that process, he brought depravity. He brought sorrow. He brought death and condemnation. He, he, he brought our banishment from the very presence of God. And the last Adam reverses that and brings us near to God and, and, and gives us now what we talked about in the previous series, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The last Adam was tempted just like the old Adam was, but he is without sin and was without sin. The first Adam began with everything provided for him in a lush, beautiful garden. The last Adam had nothing, born in a stable, had nothing, but at the end had everything. Everything was given to him, all power in heaven and on earth. The first Adam was commissioned to be fruitful and to replenish the earth. And the last Adam is to fill heaven with souls of the redeemed sons and daughters of the living God. The first Adam lived a long life to accomplish his destiny. The last Adam was born to die to accomplish God's eternal purpose. Again, contrast. The first Adam was given a bride to be his companion. Cost him nothing. In fact, God caused it to be a painless experience, fell into a deep sleep, and out of his side came forth Eve. But for the last Adam, he, at the price and expense of his own life, purchased a bride for himself through the agony and through the suffering we talked about last week of Gethsemane and the cross. Jesus is the second man in that he is the second head of the human race, the second head of the, a race, a species. And he's also the second man in the sense that he is the, he is the second man who has lived sinlessly. The first man did not live sinlessly for long. We don't know how long that period was, but he fell and great was his fall. But the last Adam, the second man, is the perfect man, the sinless man. The resurrection of the last Adam was completely a first-time event. There's nothing like it in, 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 in comparison. It was not a resuscitation. 
Jesus did not return to a body that was like his original body, but Jesus returned to a body that now was indestructible and endless, living by the very power of God. God did something new in that resurrected body. And that's what we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the restoration of all things and the reversal of the futility of creation. He is the first fruits of that, the firstborn among many brethren. What Paul is stressing here in these verses is the humanity of Christ, that through his manliness, he has reversed the curse. He's reversed Adam's failure and has ushered in life and immortality to light through the gospel. Unlike the first Adam, the last Adam was also divine. And that's why he is so absolutely unique. There is none like him. He is one of a kind, son of God, son of man. Fully God, fully man. Listen, the reason why this is so important to us to to understand this distinction between the last Adam and the second man and and the fact that God, God deals with the human race through these two men. See, you may have, let me ask you this question, okay, because you may have thought this at some time in your life, and, and you can put that question up on the, on the screen. You may have thought this, it's not fair. Why should all men be made sinners and die because of one man's failure? You know, have you ever thought that? You know, the consequences that have come upon all of us as a result of the one man's disobedience. Because of the one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So, is it, is it fair, you know? Uh, he, 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 if you think about the, the consequences of that and you say you want a different kind of a, of a system that relates to God, then, then, then what is going to be required of every single one of us is that every single one of us will have to be either perfect or suffer the consequences of our imperfection. We either have to be perfect, which is impossible, or suffer the consequences of our imperfection, which is eternal separation and banishment from God. Here's a statement I want you to see, that the the representative determines the fate of the group he represents. The representative determines the fate of the group he represents. So which of the two do you want to represent you? I think that's a slam dunk answer for me. All those bound to Adam share in his banishment, in his condemnation, and in his death. In Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Those that are joined to Jesus are reconciled and shared in his, in his blessings, shared in his righteousness. That's why Hebrews 7 26 says this, he meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sin, is exalted above the heavens. In this context, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, if God said in his infinite sovereignty, which was his right, of absolute will, I will have no substitute, but each man shall suffer for himself. He who sins will die none could have murmured. There would be no accusation against God. None could complain. If we had to stand or fall in ourselves, God would not be blamed. But 
He says, it was grace and only grace which led the divine mind to say, I will accept a substitute. There shall be a vicarious suffering and my vengeance shall be satisfied and my mercy will be gratified. I want you to note that paradise lost is not something for us to regret. You know, you might wonder, what was it like? Was it, was it beautiful? Was it amazing? You know, can, can I respectfully say that paradise compared to what awaits us is like a swamp compared to what Jesus has prepared for those who love him. See, what we gain in the last Adam is far greater than what we had in the first man. What we had in Adam was innocence until he fell, and then it passed on to us. But what we have in Christ is an irrevocable righteousness, is the gift of righteousness, which is the measure of God's grace to us. That's irrevocable. That is forever and ever we will be, listen, we we will be in a position where we will never be subject to falling again for all eternity. And it's going to be worth it all. This is, this is how Augustine put it. He said, God judged it better to bring good out of evil than to suffer no evil at all. God judged it better to bring good out of evil than to suffer no evil at all. In other words, what it means is, is that it's worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. A few weeks ago, September 9th, uh, Sergeant Ty Michael Carter was awarded the highest honors in this nation. He was given the Medal of Honor for gallantry and bravery above and beyond. When 50 of his fellow soldiers were ambushed by more than 300 of the enemy in a remote location in Afghanistan, according to one report, it says this. It says, Carter took out a great many of the enemy with complete disregard for his own safety and in spite of his own wounds, he ran through a hell of enemy rocket-propelled grenades and machine gun fire to rescue a critically wounded ranger who had been pinned down in an exposed position. Specialist Carter rendered life-extending first aid and carried the soldiers some 100 meters to safety and then returned back to the battle while teammates were providing him with cover, he was able to successfully retrieve a radio with which they were able to now radio for uh, covering and for, and for uh, uh, protection that came to them, that saved all of them. At the ceremony, uh, he made the statements that I thought was really uh, an insight into sacrificial service. L- listen to what he says. He says, even though... This award is an awesome honor and a great privilege. In order to get such a prestigious award, you have to be in a situation where your family, your brothers, are suffering and dying around you. And then you just do everything that you can to save lives and to prevent further loss. What a powerful, powerful statement and a reminder that courage never comes without a risk. That when we talk about the man Christ Jesus, we're talking about a real risk. In fact, I don't have the time this morning to develop it fully, but 
But Luke also draws this comparison between Adam and the Lord Jesus because he ends the genealogy and, and goes down to Adam. Adam is the last one mentioned in the genealogy. And then he picks up the story by talking about the temptation of Christ. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That temptation was a real risk. Otherwise, it was a sham. Otherwise, it was just make-believe. Had Jesus not been really able to be tempted to sin, then he was not really human because, as the saying goes, to err is human. He, he, he really was tested just as the first man, Adam, was tested, but he was sinless and victorious. And so Jesus, our great hero, passed through enemy fire, passed through and, 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 and dealt with a combat that was way, way beyond just, just ducking bullets and hand grenades. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that in the last series where, where, where Jesus was confronted not only by flesh and blood enemies who despised him and hated him and wanted nothing but to see him destroyed. And, and Jesus dealt with principalities and powers and wicked spirits and Satan himself. And, and yet we said that even that was nothing in comparison to him facing the horrific cup of the wrath of God, a holy and just God, that he bore the wrath of God for us. To me, that is, that is heroic stuff that is beyond any compare to any human being. Jesus is our absolute hero. Tozer said this, Jesus is not many ways to approach God, nor is he the best of several ways. He is the only way. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Sorry if that sounds a little exclusive, but it is. He is the only way to the Father. No one can come to the Father except to be through him. My grandson Landon, I, I, was, I was trying to observe if he had with him today. Uh, you, you may have seen, uh, he loves action figures. Anybody ever noticed Landon with a bunch? I mean, usually he carries them around with him. Sometimes I'll leave them in the, in the foyer. Sometimes I'll leave them in the kitchen. He just loves action figures. They're just so, you know, he just thinks that they're so cool. But you know what? Landon's only five years old, but he's smart enough, and he is, he's sharp enough to know you can't pull the wool over his eyes. You see, the, the, there's an action figure that's being sold today, uh, and it's called Invisible Jim. Can, can, you, can you put Invisible Jim up there? Invisible Jim. Now, now listen, it says, it says, you can't break him, you can't lose him. And the reason why they call him invisible is because he really is. You can't see him. And that's because, strictly speaking, invisible Jim doesn't exist. Now, I, I, I suppose the reason why they didn't call him the invisible man is because there's probably some patent on that, on that term. You know, so, they, so they came up with a, the, an alternative name. He's, a, he's an action figure called Invisible Gem. And the recipients of Invisible Gem, right, they get the packaging for Invisible Gem, but they get this clear plastic on this, on this decorated cardboard backing, right? And, and where normally a G.I. Joe would be or a Spider-Man or a Batman would be inserted on the inside of that, of that package, there's nothing. And the company says, listen, the company says that sales are brisk, and that complaints are scarce. The packaging, I don't know if you could notice it, uh, some of the bold letters and then some of the small letters 
Let me tell you what, what, what they, because you can't see them probably from there. It says darting eyes in big letters. But small letters says completely devoid of darting eyes. A gripping hand, big letters. Under that it's, it's, would be nice. Camouflage suit sold separately. Then there's that little logo on the bottom where it has TV, where we also often see where there's products that are usually advertised on TV as, as not seen on TV, it says. It says, have so much fun that you'll cry with tears of laughter. Uh, now, at first glance, you know, we kind of chuckle and we laugh and we say, it's got to be some new innovative marketing scheme, right? But it really is nothing new. You see, the world, flesh, and devil have been packaging empty stuff ever since the beginning of time. And you know what? Uh, sales are brisk, and there's hardly a complaint, scarcely a complaint. I think one of the problems is, is that when there's nothing of content within, people come to realize that there's absolutely Nothing of value. So before you buy what the world is selling, satisfaction, pleasure, success, fulfillment, take a good look. If God is not on the inside of that package, then it's really nothing but emptiness. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is the real action figure. Jesus is the real champion and the real hero who has come to rescue and to ransom those that are lost. His hair is white as snow. His eyes like blazing fire. He holds in his hand the seven stars. He has the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's the prince of peace. Now, let me ask you this. After sharing this message, who do you want to represent you? Do you want Adam to represent you? Or do you want the last man, the last Adam, the second man, the Lord Jesus Christ? I know for me, it's an easy choice. Because as the representative goes, so goes those who he represents. He has gone before us. That's why Scripture calls him the, the author and the finisher, the pioneer of our faith who has gone before us, who has forged a way for us through the veil of his own flesh by a new and living way so that we're now assured that we have acceptance with, with the Father, that we are likewise called the beloved. The bottom line this morning is simply this. It's in his great name that we have peace, joy, and victory in life. And it's uncovering all of the, the wonders of, he, of his name that produces in us that transformation of heart that takes place. We become more and more like him. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you this morning as we kick off the series that you are committed. There's no one more passionate about Jesus than the Holy Spirit whose ministry is to, to come and to reveal Christ to our hearts. And we're hungry for him. 
we sing about him, we preach about him, but, but we, we want to be intimate with him. And we thank you that you've called us into an intimate relationship with the one who loves us, that this glorious relationship will end in a marriage, that, that we are called the bride of Christ, that we are inseparable and will be inseparable from the one who is the bridegroom. And so we pray even now, Father, that if there's anyone here this morning and they don't get it, they haven't gotten it yet, that today the eyes of their understanding would be open, that you would, you would enlighten them, that they would see that there's a choice. Every single one of us has a choice. We can let Adam represent us or we can let Jesus Christ represent us. The one leads to death, the other leads to life. Is life itself, he's the source of life. So my prayer this morning would be, is if you're here today and you've never done that, that you would make this transaction right now by saying, Jesus, I receive you into my life. I accept you as my representative, as my Savior, as my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I want to live for you. If you'll do that this morning and tell somebody after you do that, we'd love to just pray with you. We'd love to just encourage you. But you've begun today a destiny that God has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And that's a great thing.